There's a little boy that was weeping because he had lost his little sister. And as he was crying, there was a lady dressed in black who approached him, patted him on his head and said, it's okay, you don't have to worry about your sister. She is in heaven. Well, the little boy, not knowing what heaven was, was concerned. Because he felt that since he didn't know what this was, he didn't like the idea that his little sister was in some strange place. I could relate to that because when my little sister died, I had the same experience. Somebody tapped me on my head and said, it's okay, your little sister's in heaven. And it troubled me because I had no idea what heaven was. And there are many people who don't. They hear all sorts of different ideas about heaven. But what does the Bible say? Let's pray together as we study. Heavenly Father, we thank you for thy words and ask for your spirit to guide us and give us understanding about this most important topic. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. The other night we studied about death. And Paul, the great apostle Paul, actually wrote a lot about death, but he wrote it from the perspective of hope. Most people don't see death as something hopeful. They see something, death as something terrible. But Paul had uh, visions, and he was a very meek and humble person. And one particular time, he's, he, uh, he writes in a way that it seems like he's talking about somebody else. He's really talking about himself. John did the same thing. The Apostle John, when he wrote, he would say, he whom Jesus loved, rather than saying me. He was simply just trying to not take credit or bring attention to himself. Paul wrote, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. How many of you have had a dream that was so real that you didn't really know if you were there or not? Any of you have had that kind of dream? Uh, some of those dreams you want to wake up from. And some of those dreams you wish you can go back and take up the next chapter. How many of you have felt that way? You wish you can go back to that dream. It was such a wonderful dream. Well, Paul had a dream. And he says, uh, such an one was caught up to what, what heaven? The third heaven. Now that should, that kind of surprises people because Paul is using here language that most people haven't heard before. Notice he's mentioning the third heaven. And so what is it that Paul is really saying as he goes to this place called the third heaven? It is actually paradise. It is what? Paradise. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. He was so, so uh, in, impacted by what he saw that he didn't feel at ease to speak about it. However, 
he calls it the third heaven, or he uses the word paradise. So what is it? Well, let's consider what the Bible means by the word heaven. There are three distinct heavens. How many? Three distinct heavens. One heaven is uh, the heaven where the birds fly. If you notice, it says, by them shall the fowls of the heaven or of the sky have their habitation, which sing among the branches. Then there's, there's another heaven, and that heaven is called, uh, we call it space, or where the stars are. But notice that the Bible says, and God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also, and God set them in the firmament of the heaven. So you have the first heaven is the sky. You have the second heaven is space, or where the stars are. And you have the third heaven. The third heaven is where the Lord is. Where? Where the Lord is. And I want you to notice what it says in Psalms 11, verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. How many of you have sung something like that in church services? The Lord is in his holy temple. All right. That's where it comes from. That's where the verses come from. But notice it says, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. So the Bible then calls a place where God is heaven. And Paul used the word, the third heaven or paradise. In Revelation 2, verse 7, it says, He that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So now we find then that the third heaven is where God is, and it tells us that the tree of life is in that place called paradise. And then Revelation 22 verse 1 tells us that that tree of life is actually by the throne. Notice it said, he, shall, he showed me a pure river of water of life clear as crystal proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street and on the other side of the river was their tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. So you have then the first heaven, the second heaven, and the third heaven. Tonight we will not spend time talking about the first heaven, nor about the second heaven. Tonight we're going to spend time talking about the third heaven. The one where God is, where his throne is, and where the tree of life is. So let's uh, look at what the Bible says concerning this particular place. When Jesus departed from earth, prior to his departure, he said to the disciples, let not your heart be troubled. The reason why he said that is because he had already let them know that he was going to depart from the earth. They didn't know what that meant. He said, I go. I'm going. I'm going to leave you. But I'll send you another comforter. Remember that? So then he said to them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are what? Many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a what? A place for you, I will come again and receive unto myself that where I am, you may be also. 
Now notice it says that I'm going, and when I go, I'm going to come back to do what? I will come again to receive you unto myself. Many years ago, my father abandoned my, uh, my mother and us. We were six boys, and we had a little sister. And my father then took my oldest brother later on with him. And finally, he brought my older brother back to be with us. But he told my brother that he would uh, be there with us for only a short time, maybe a day or so, and then he'd come back for him. So my brother, believing his dad, my father, that he was only going to stay there with us for a day or so, never unpacked his suitcase because he fully expected dad to return. And so he waited for dad to pick him up. And unfortunately, dad never came back until years later. When Jesus said that he's going to come back, he's coming back to take you and me, if we so desire, to go with him. But he's specifically here speaking to the disciples. To who? To the disciples. And I want you to notice what he's saying to, to the disciples. I'm going to go, but don't worry about it. I will come back and get you. All right? That's what he, he promised, correct? So, question. Did the Lord leave the earth? Yes. Where is the Lord? In heaven. What is he doing there? Preparing a place. Where are the disciples? Where are they? Huh? Are they where? They are asleep. Where are they? They're asleep. Because the Bible says, Jesus himself said, I'm going to come back and get you. Where was he talking to them? Where was Jesus speaking to the disciples at that time? In Jerusalem. So where did the disciples stay? Back in Israel. So we know that the disciples died, were buried, correct? But Jesus said, I'm going to come back and get you. So those disciples are not in heaven, as some people say. They call them St. Peter and St. Paul and St. John, etc. Those are only, only terms that are used, but it's not really true. According to the scriptures, Jesus said, I'm going to come back to the earth to get you. And if he said that, we can believe it because he is a gentleman. He keeps his promise. What do you say? So, notice that he says, I'm preparing a what? A place. My brother, my oldest brother is coming to visit me uh, tomorrow. And I told him, I have a place for you. So when he gets here, I'm going to put him up in, in the air. Is that what I'm going to do? Where am I going to put him? When I said to him, I have a place for you, what does he expect? <laughs> he expects for me to have a bed for him, and he expects for me to have a room for him. Is that true? He's not thinking that he's going to be floating someplace. He's thinking that he's actually going to be in a real literal place. 
So when Jesus said, I'm coming to prepare a place for you, what did the people understand about the place? That it was some ethereal place or that it was a real place? It was a real place. So Jesus then promises he's coming to take you home to that real place. Now, there's a little confusion about the promise that Jesus made. This is another promise. It's found in Luke 23 and verse 43. Jesus said unto the thief, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Today you shall be with me in paradise. And there are a lot of people, and I've had ministers to argue with me and say, Pastor, you're incorrect. The thief who died on the cross went to heaven that day. And so I, I said, No, the problem is the comma. The what? I said, The comma. What do you mean? I said, well, let me explain it this way. Look at this statement, ladies. What does that say? A woman without her man is nothing. How do you ladies feel about that? Huh? Well, tell me, how do you feel about that? You're looking at me kind of... <laughs> now, wait a minute, Pastor. All right, let's use some commas. Let's use some what? Commas. Here we have it, all right? Same sentence. Now notice what happens. A woman, comma, without her, comma, man is nothing. <laughs> now what happened? What happened? The ladies are rejoicing now. Do you see that? But I used the same words. The only thing I changed was what? The comma. And in Greek, there are no commas. I've studied Greek and I know that. There are no commas in Greek. And so what happened was that when they translated what Jesus said, they put the comma in the wrong place. So they put it, Verily, verily, I say unto you, comma, Today you will be with me in paradise. But we know Jesus was not in paradise on that, that day because Jesus died and was buried and did not rise until Sunday morning. So if he told the thief that he was going to be with him that very day in paradise, he was misguiding the thief. And Jesus doesn't do that. So Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you today, I'm telling you right now. In other words, the guarantee was now that you are going to be with me in paradise. But not that now you're going to heaven. Now I'm telling you. How many of you have said that before? I'm telling you right now. What do you mean by that? Yes. What you may add to that may be, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to make something out of that. You're simply just... Not saying, I'm telling you now, I'm telling you, now I'm doing this. You may say, now I'm telling you. All right, did you get it? So there's my beautiful wife. All right. The reality is that the people in the Bible, the patriarchs of the scriptures, understood and knew that there was a better place that they were looking for. Notice it says in Hebrews 11, verse 10, for he looked, speaking about Abraham, he looked for a what? For a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is who? God. Abraham was not looking for a place on this earth. He was looking for a better place that God himself was preparing. So the patriarchs understood that. That place is called what? 
the new Jerusalem. Revelation 21, verse 2. So now we understand from the scriptures not only that there's a city which has foundations, but that city is called the new Jerusalem. Well, this new Jerusalem has a, a lot of information about it. Chapter 21 of Revelation is a wonderful chapter. And can you imagine how much people are losing out of and missing out of when people say that Revelation is a closed book and you cannot understand it? When God in the book of Revelation reveals the blessed hope that we have and the wonderful place that he's preparing. So notice what it says. The city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth, and he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, the length and the breadth and the, and the height of it are equal. Now, a furlong is about 606 feet. 12,000 furlongs would be about 1,378 miles or about 344 miles on each side. So we're speaking about a city that actually has dimensions. That has what? Dimensions. Now some people try to kind of round it off and they say 350 miles on one side, which would equal about 1,500 rather than 1,300. Uh, I try to be a little bit more accurate, so I'm giving you what an actual furlong is said to be. Now, if you take that measurement and you apply it to a city, it would be about this size, the square. Can you see those squares? Can you see those squares? All right. Here's a square. Here's New York City. In New York City, there are about 15 to 20 million people that live in that, in that area. In that dot, okay? The city would be that size in comparison to New York City. Then we take the square over, here's Portland, Oregon. The city will be as large as that. And we're speaking about just the city. This is a mammoth city, what do you say? The New York City is a large city. Any of you have been to New York City? If you've been to New York City, you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, you can stand in, in front of a, one of those tall buildings and look up, and you kind of have to bend back to see the top of it. Well, I grew up there, and there are many, many people, especially rush hour. You get on the subway, you don't have to worry about moving yourself. They will move you along with them. Okay. So, uh, many, many people. Um, the interesting thing is that the city of God will have enough room for every single person who wants to be there. For how many? Every single person who wants to be there. God makes it plain. All right, now, it says that she has a high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates. It says that each gate is, is a pearl. And the closest that I've seen to that is in Korea. In Korea, they use mother pearl uh, to make designs. And uh, I first saw that back in 1968, when I was a soldier in Korea. And it was just gorgeous artwork in ebony. You know what I'm talking about? You had the mother of pearl in, in, implanted in ebony, uh, beautiful furniture. And I thought, when I read this, what it must look like 
to come to the city and go to one of those pearly gates. And then it says that the city has uh, the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. And then it says that the building of the wall was of jasper and the city was what? Pure gold like unto what? Unto clear glass. It's wonderful to know that the foundations of the walls of the city were garnished with man, all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth an emerald. And then it just continues to mention the sardonyx, the sardius, the chrysolite, the beryl, the uh, topaz, and the chrysoprasus. The eleventh adjacents and the twelfth an amethyst. The only place I've come close to kind of visualizing what these foundations would look like was at a home of a person that uh, took us in. We were a team of health workers and uh, we were in Silver Springs, Maryland. His name was Ofa Mays. And Ofa Mays had a basement that he finally took us to. And he turned out to be a rock hound, a rock collector. And downstairs, he had all sorts of different displays of these precious ores that he would find. And he, some, he would cut into the shapes of butterflies. So it was the, 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 uh, the gorgeous scenery that he had down below. It was just magnificent. Then he took us to a, a, a dark room and turned on the light. And he had a box maybe about this big uh, made out of metal. And he said, look in there. And all we saw was these drab-looking rocks, and we thought, well, this man collects everything and everything. Well, then he said, what do you see? We said, rocks. <laughs> he said, well, stand back for a moment. So we stood back, and he turned off the light, and then he turned on the black light on that box or in that box. And those rocks began to glow with gorgeous colors phosphorescent colors. There were rich blues and, and greens and reds and blacks and oranges and yellows. And when I stood back looking at that display, I thought how gorgeous it must be for that city to be sitting on a rainbow-like foundation. Here, our foundations are just drab, cement, and ugly. That's why we cover them up, right? Isn't that true? But there, God doesn't cover it up. He wants you to see the gorgeous display of the colors. Here are some of the, the gems that are used in their colors. If you can see the different colors, uh, what a spectacular city that will be. Then it says that the streets of the city was a pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. What's interesting is that God is not interested in just using the, the gold that we have here. He's putting together a city with transparent gold. What kind, what kind of gold? Transparent gold. And I know that for centuries people laughed at this funny story in the Bible about gold, streets of gold, and transparent gold. Whoever heard of transparent gold? Gold that you can look through and see. Well, the reality is it's science, in my day, was not up to what they finally discovered. 
that they could make transparent gold. And transparent gold is being utilized in a lot of applications today. Here is a sample. Do you see those windshields there in that airliner? If you, if you can see, the kind of, it, it's kind of bluish over here. Can you see that? And over here? If you look at an at a, at a airliner's a windshield, at the right angle, it'll have kind of like a baby hue color. That bluish color is transparent gold. And by the way, those windshields, as small as they look, cost about thirty dollars to $40,000. The reason is that there are two windshields, two glasses that are, that are put together and sandwiched in between is a film of transparent gold. And it is used to protect the pilots from the violet, uh, ultraviolet rays. And also it is used for the purpose of keeping the windshield hot so that it doesn't get frigid in the event that some bird crashes into it, it will not shatter. And the interesting thing is, and the reason I know all the details is because there happened to be a, a Seventh-day Adventist technician that I ran into, and I was talking to him about transparent gold. He said, I know all about it. So I said, well, what do you know? He said, I install the windshields on the airplanes. I said, you do? He said, yes, I've been doing that for years. So I said, well, give me some more information. He's the one that told me that it takes uh, two, uh, 200 bolts to put that thing in and keep it in place. Then he said that they actually test the windshields in a very, very, very strange way. They'll take a bird about the size of a turkey, all right? A dead bird, of course. And then they will put it in a cannon. And then they'll blast that bird into the windshield. And if the windshield does not shatter, then they install it on the airplane. The funny thing about it was that uh, in England, they kept on shooting these birds and they kept on breaking the windshields. So they called NASA to find out what they were doing wrong. And so NASA said, what are you doing? Well, they said, we're putting these frozen turkeys in, in the cannon and shooting it at the windshield. So NASA said, thaw the birds. Because there are no frozen birds flying in the sky. You understand? So now they are using transparent gold for these uh, applications. And the astronauts, if you notice, sometimes the, the windshield of the astronaut or the face protection that they have you can actually uh, see a reflection because they also have transparent gold in it. So now scientists are no longer poo-hooing what the Bible mentioned about transparent gold. Now they know it is true. So the Bible is true. Right now, Jesus then makes a clear statement. Behold, I create a what? a new heaven and a new earth. This old earth will finally pass away. We have been told that in scripture. It's, 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 it's a matter of time. It's not if, it is only when. And God is the only one that has that information because Jesus said that he does not have that information, only his father. Well, God will also wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. It also says 
that they shall build what? Houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. In other words, friends, this is talking about a real situation, a real place, real buildings. And the good news is that Jesus paid the price. What do you say? And the wonderful thing is this. The scripture reveals that not only will you have a city house, you will be able to have a country house. But you'll have to make that yourself. The other one God is preparing. So he's preparing a place for you. You know, in Norway, most of the citizens in Norway have a country house and a city house. And some of you, I think, may have reached that level by now. But the wonderful thing is in the kingdom, everyone who desires a country house will be able to build them. My wife and I sometimes have talked about this. And we've talked about, well, let's see, what are we going to put in that house? And we're, we, we are thinking about maybe putting a waterfall coming right into our living room with a, a little uh, pond there and a fish in the pond and roses and plants all around. And then the benches uh, shaped into, I mean, the flowers and the plants shaped into benches so we can relax and smell the roses. <laughs> and we won't have to worry about the thorns because they will not be there. Anyway. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree shall be the days of my people. My elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Isn't that marvelous? If we just stopped here, our hearts should be strangely warmed to know that God is preparing something beyond our comprehension. And to think that God is doing all that for who? For you and for me. Good news. There's something else. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. People are, you know, uh, think that this is, this is not true. A lion lying down with a, with a lamb can't happen. Well, uh, how many of you have seen this book or read this book? Any of you? One or two have read it? Okay. The rest of you have never seen that book. Well, it's called Little Tyke. It's a true story of a gentle vegetarian lioness. Of a what? Did you hear what I said? It's a true story of a vegetarian lioness. And she happened to live up in a ranch called Hidden Valley Ranch near Seattle, Washington. The good, good news is that we have examples here on earth of what God has been talking about for a long time in the scriptures. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about this little tyke. Little tyke was going to be killed by its mother, but they, were, they rescued him, and they gave it to this man named George, who was a butcher. And he was glad because he used to throw his scraps away, and now he was happy that he could give the scraps to the lion. Well, unfortunate for the butcher... He got himself a handful of problems because the lioness would not touch his scraps. It would not touch the meat. Even though he would try to stuff it down the throat, the little thing just would spit it back up. And so then he was concerned. So he took the little cup to a, 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 a doctor. And the doctor said, unless this thing eats meat, it will die. 
And he said, well, I can't force it. I try to shove it down his mouth. I try to do whatever. Well, there's a, you know, the people say there are more than one ways to skin a cat. So we're going to skin this cat. So what they did was they, they wanted to trick the lioness into drinking blood. And so they put milk, which the lion always liked, and they put one drop of, of milk, of blood in it. When they put the one drop of blood on it, they expected the lioness to be deceived. And in drinking the milk, it would start getting used to the taste of blood. The sad thing for those who are attempting that is that as soon as the lioness smelt the one drop of blood in the milk, it would not touch the milk. And contrary to what the, the doctor said, the little cub grew up to be a full-sized lion. And you know, its best friend was, what do you suppose? A little lamb. They took it to, the, to a television program, and they were trying to uh, see what the lioness would do. And so they, they were supposed to bring some chickens on stage uh, to demonstrate that the lioness would, would just uh, not even pay attention to the chickens. But when they opened the box, there were little chicks rather than chickens. And so uh, George then told them a story. They said uh, that uh, the lioness had never been around little chicks. It's always been around chickens on the farm. But one chicken had these little chicks. And the lioness did not know what to do because he hadn't seen them before. And so uh, all of a sudden, the lioness is passing by George, and, and George notices that, that uh, something's going on wrong and that the mouth somehow had something inside. So the George says to the little tyke, what are you doing? And the little tyke opened up his mouth, and it turned out it had a chick inside his mouth. The reason why he had a chick inside his mouth is because he went to lick it. And when he went to lick it, the chick got taken into the mouth. And poor little tyke didn't know what to do with the little chick. So the little lioness became a, li a large lion. And the truth of the matter is that if it can happen in this old earth, it can happen in the kingdom. What do you say? Well, there'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. It shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall what? All flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. My friend, God did not make you a phantom or spirit. God made you a real living being. And God made you to enjoy the pleasantries that he provided in Eden. But because of sin, it brought an end to that temporarily. But God did not give up on us. Thank the Lord for that. He continued to work on saving us until he went to the cross. He paid the full price to guarantee that anyone who so chose could make it to a real place with real people, 
eating real food. I was in Romania speaking about the tree of life. And it says that the tree of life bears 12 fruit every month. How many? 12 fruit. And again, for a long time, people thought that that's ridiculous. A tree can only bear, if it's an apple tree, it only bears an apple tree. Now we know that horticulturists have figured out how to put three fruits to grow on one tree. So we know that it's being done now. But the Bible says there'll be the tree of life with 12 different fruits. And I was in Romania speaking about the tree of life. And I thought, I'm going to make these people have water in their mouths, you know. And I said, you know, one of the things I hope happens, and that is that one other fruit is a mango. And I thought that when I would say mango, all their mouths would start watering, like mine is right now. Okay. But nobody seemed to be interested in what I was saying. The reason for it is that afterwards somebody came up to me and said, what's a mango? <laughs> they didn't know what a mango was, but I'll tell you, they are delectable, aren't they? Any of you like mangoes? Oh yeah, go to Costco and you can buy those yellow mangoes and take a spoon and it's like eating custard, right? But listen, whatever the fruit is, it will be far better than what we have now. Because everything that pollutes will be removed. Everything that contaminates will no longer be there. And everything will be pristine in its beauty, fresh, delectable. Our, our minds are not able to comprehend. And that's why the Bible says that even Job believed that he would die, but he also believed that he would live again in the flesh. Notice it says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand upon uh, the latter day upon the earth. And then he says, And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my what? In my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself. Mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Oh, what glorious the Bible reveals about the, the future for all who love him. Yes, my friends, we live in a very, very depressed situation because of the condition of sin on the earth. But Jesus came to give you hope that you could, even if you were to pass into your slumber, you could enjoy the hope that God has brought through his Son to us so that you can claim the promise you said, Lord, that you go to prepare a place for me. And when you come, you will come and receive me unto yourself. That where you are, there I can be also. What a glorious hope. Right? What do you say? When my mother-in-law was passing away. Uh, she finally succumbed. She was 97. And I was asked to do the funeral. I was thinking about the funeral. And I, the word hope came to my mind. But it came to my mind as an acronym. And here's what came to my mind. H, heaven. O, offers. P, 
people e eternity hope heaven offers people eternity that's the hope a life that measures with the life of god a gorgeous place for now we see in a mirror dimly but then what face to face now i know in part but then i shall know just as i am also known yes when my dear little mother wakes up she's not going to have to be concerned that she cannot figure out who her kids are because the bible says that we will be known even as we will know yes what a wonderful day that will be imagine getting there the excitement and being able to see each other what a tremendous joy that will be what do you say and i think there will be a stampede for jesus you know what i mean i think all of us who make it will realize that we are only there because of the blood that he shared and everybody will want to grab his feet and bow down and worship him that's why it says that every knee how many every knee shall bend to christ thank thank the lord what do you say heaven what it is like blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ which according to his abundant mercy have begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and what undefiled and that fate of not away reserved in heaven for for you reserved where in heaven for you can you imagine folks the day when jesus comes and all the graves begin to open and families reunite again never more to part and then that trip that will be taken through the space can you imagine that great procession of all the who have ever lived on the planet who have loved the lord who have died who have been martyred who have been lost at sea wherever they've been the bible says that the sea gives up the dead the graves give up the dead everything surrenders to death and can you imagine flying through space faster than the speed of light did you hear what i said faster than what speed of light because the scripture says that the angels fly at the flash of lightning that's what the bible says so faster than the speed of light we will take the, that track through the heavens and i can imagine jesus pointing out this glorious thing that he's created and that glorious thing he's created and all we can say is wow and finally we get to that city and as we see in a distant the city our hearts begin to pump harder and harder and finally as we approach the city the angels will say lift up your heads all your gate even lift him up your everlasting door and the king of glory shall come in and the angels inside will say who is the king of glory and the angels outside said the lord strong and mighty the lord mighty in battle lift up your heads on your gates and finally those doors will be opened up and we'll be able to enter in and then finally 
Can you imagine walking the streets of transparent gold and then finally approaching the throne and at last hear the words from our Heavenly Father, Welcome home, children. What a day that will be. Do you long to be there? What a day. But you must want to be there. God has revealed all these things tonight so that you may know that he longed for you to be there. Everything that could be done hath been done. Nothing has been left undone to entice you to want to be in the kingdom. There's a place for you and if you don't make it, you will leave an empty spot in the heart of God. He wants you there. Do you want to be there? Do you? How many of you tonight would stand and say, Lord, I want to be there. And I stand to that tonight. Would you stand if that's your longing? I want you to know, my Father, that I long for that time when at last, I could see you face to face. Heaven for all. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for all that you have prepared and you've revealed in your word. A real place for real people. They will not have to have tears any longer. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. And then to think that besides all of these glories that you've revealed, the grandest experience, the most loveliest, will be when we at last can hear from your own voice, welcome home. Oh God, grant that we will be complete families in your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name.